morning we're going to do something a little different. I'm going to explain that to you in just a moment. But before we do, I just want to highlight the fact that uh, this month, three years ago, Nathaniel Duckworth started leading worship at City Church, and we haven't been the same since. Thank you so much, Nate. Also, uh, you heard on the video a moment ago, I just want to reiterate it, that next week we're starting a series that we're going to be in for uh, quite a bit of time this summer on the family. And we're going to deal with all sorts of issues related to the family, uh, criticalness and uh, anger and uh, envy and uh, you know, those legalism and those kinds of things and uh, how all of that affects the family. And so I would encourage you to come be a part of that. Tell somebody that you know uh, about it. I think it'll be a, an important series. Uh, The 19th century uh, Scottish pastor Robert Murray McShane once famously said this. He said that what a man is alone on his knees before God, that he is and no more. You know, if this is true of a man, why would it not be equally true of a church? It seems clear that one of the reasons that the church in America is dying and one of the reasons that it is so weak is that it prays so little. There was a day when you could hold a prayer service in a church on a Sunday evening and people people would come and they would gather to, to pray. Times have changed. We seem less convinced about the necessity of prayer and perhaps even less convinced about the potential of just a single church to change an entire city. Regardless, from the very beginning of Jesus' revolution, it's been clear that the only power that the local church has to change lives is that which comes from our prayers. Because we're told in the New Testament that our fight is against the spiritual forces of darkness and therefore requires spiritual weapons. And what greater weapon is there than the prayers of not just one, but dozens, even hundreds of people? Since it's so hard to get people to come out on a Sunday night or some other night of the week to pray, we decided some time ago that we would take a few Sunday mornings each year and devote them to prayer, to prayer and worship. Those of you who are here today for the first time need to know that what you're going to experience today is not a typical Sunday morning service for us. Most Sundays are probably like, you know, if you've been a part of other churches in the past or attended, visited other churches. Most of our services are more like those, but this service is different. It's our way of prioritizing prayer and worship in a way that everyone can participate as a large group. The service is going to be extremely interactive, so it's going to move fast. We won't, I know as soon as I say that this is a prayer service, some of you fear that we're going to put you in awkward situations. We're not going to do that, so you can rest at ease. The service will move through the various elements of prayer. We'll begin with praise. We will affirm who God is. We will confess sin, we will express our surrender to him of our desires and our expectations, and we will petition him for specific things. And along the way, you'll notice that this service has elements in it that connect us back to Christianity's historical roots. Most of the songs that we sing today, most of them will be hymns. There will be numerous liturgical elements to the service, as well as the recital of of an ancient creedal statement. We think it's important to remind ourselves from time to time about those who came before us and and on whose shoulders we stand today. The theme of this service today, since we just came out of a series about engaging our neighbors, the theme of this service is going to be servanthood. But I want to begin this morning with what's called a, a litany of praise to God way we're going to do this is I'm going to read the lines in normal shading, and then you're going to read the lines that are in bold. So I'll start. With praise and thanksgiving, let us pray to God through whom all things are accomplished. Eternal God and creator of all things, we give you high praise for the good work that you do among us. For our baptism in faith, for your forgiveness of our sins, for the founding of our church, and for its sustaining by your gracious hand. For the unity of the Holy Spirit, the saving work of your Son, Jesus, 
Lord, in whose name you give us our mission. For those who give so generously and so sacrificially to sustain this, your church. For those who volunteer to teach our children and our students, for the men and women who serve our parking team and our first impressions team. For our elders and our staff. for the leaders and hosts of our city life groups beginning of the revolution of Jesus, the writers of scripture believed that it was not only important for believers to have faith, but to place that faith in the God accurately described in the scriptures. 
They were also concerned that young converts might stray from the truth of God described in the scriptures and fall prey to false teaching and heresy. So throughout the history of the church, leaders of the church would convene at times of conflict about doctrine. After careful study of the Bible, church leaders would write what's called a creedal statement, which clarified the particular point of doctrine over which the controversy arose and was used in churches to teach believers what was correct. One such creedal statement is called the Nicene Creed. It's written in the year 325, and it's called the Nicene Creed because it was the product of a council that met in a city called Nicaea, which is in modern-day Turkey. This particular council was convened in part because a man named Arius was teaching that Jesus wasn't fully God. And so let's read this together, and as we do, I paid special attention to how much of this creed articulates very clearly and carefully what the Bible teaches about who Jesus Christ is. So, join me. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Sure. 
Yeah. In the Bible, every time a person was given the opportunity to see even a glimpse of God, that person would feel compelled to declare God's holiness and their own sinfulness. Often people in our culture think that this is one of the problems with Christianity. They think that Christianity creates negative self-esteem because it focuses too much on our imperfections, but nothing really could be further from the truth. Imagine for the moment that I were to watch two videos. One video is my golf swing. The other video is the golf swing of, say, Phil Mickelson. We're both lefties. That's why I choose uh, Phil Mickelson. When I compare our golf swings, I would be in awe of his swing, how smooth it is, how effortless it is, how far he hits it, how straight he usually hits it. And it would be kind of a golf joke. You had to get that. You had to know golf to get that. But anyway, it would become very obvious to me that I fall short of Phil's swing. Now, saying that wouldn't create negative self-esteem. It would simply be an accurate statement of how far short my golf swing is compared to Phil's. It would be a statement of self-awareness. When we compare ourselves to a holy God, we naturally see our own imperfections. And as an act of self-awareness, it is good to state out loud where we fall short of God. And then we ask His forgiveness. This is called confession. It's an important part of prayer. So let's confess our sins this morning together. Again, I'll read the parts that are in the lighter font, and then you will read the parts that are in bold. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching Him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. Let us confess together that we have broken God's law as it is fulfilled and embodied by God's Son. God said, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Was blind, but now I 
And t'was grace that taught my heart to fear And grace my fears relieved How precious did that grace appear The hour I first Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe this far, and grace will lead me. Bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Than when we first begun. Then when we first begun. We're going to take communion in just a minute together. But before we start and pass out the elements, let's read a little bit from Scripture. Philippians 2 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Ushers, go ahead and make your way forward and begin distributing the bread and the juice. And Jeff said that this service is centered around the idea of servanthood. And there is no greater picture of servanthood than Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus, who, who just in becoming the Jesus that we knew, demonstrated more servanthood than could ever be expected of anyone. C.S. Lewis said once that, that if we want to try and imagine what it was like for Jesus to become man, we need to try and think of us ourselves becoming slugs. Right? Which is kind of like an amusing thought the first time that I heard it becoming a slug. But really, when you think through, what would it take for me to become a slug? What would, what would I give up? I would give up all of my personhood. I'd give up my relationships, my ability to think, every interaction, every sense of purpose, every bit of self-awareness I have, I would give up even my skeleton, right? To become a little ball of mucus that moves across the ground and hopes it doesn't get stepped on. That that is not a transition that I would be willing to make. And yet Jesus, pre-existent with the Father and the Spirit, made a choice like that to become one of us. The things that, that he had to put on the shelf in order to become one of us are astounding. And yet he did it. And the reason he did it was because of a perfect love for his Father and for us, his creation. And that is the thing that drove him through his entire life and through his last moments of life on a cross. 
a perfect love and submission to the Father and a perfect love and sacrifice for us. And so as we come to the table in communion, we're encouraged to remember that love and to model that love in our own life. That is the love that Jesus has, the love of a servant, one who was himself God, but decided that he wasn't going to use that for his own agenda. He was going to take our nature so that he could redeem us. And so a moment when we reflect on suffering and pain is also a moment of celebration because a new life has been given to us through his death and resurrection. And so in this moment, let's remember that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks for it, he broke it. He said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Go ahead and take In the same way, after the meal, he took the cup and he said, take, drink, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your humility, for your servitude, for your obedience. Lord, most of all, thank you for your love. Thank you for loving us enough to come to be one of us. Thank you for loving us enough to die for us. Lord, may we not leave the same people we were when we came in. Lord, today and every day, may we be more transformed into your image to be like you. God, we we ask today that you would help us to put down any agenda we might have in the same way that you surrendered everything for the will of your Father. Jesus, may we be truly transformed children. Lord, may your kingdom come here like it is in heaven, and may it come through us, your church. We pray this in your name. Amen. of servanthood, the word humility immediately comes to mind. Recently, I read an article about uh, the late Dr. Sylvester Kirchmurray. He was a Slovakian Catholic physician and a lay evangelist. And uh, Dr. Kirchmurray spent years in torture and confinement in Czech communist prisons for his faith in Christ. Dr. Kirchmurray wrote about how he reconciled himself to this unjust suffering and how he did this without surrendering to bitterness. After his first beating in prison, listen to what he wrote. He said, even though this was my first experience with this level of violent physical assault, I actually did not feel anything. Perhaps I was in such a state of shock that I wasn't fully conscious of the pain. I considered the whole thing a very valuable ordeal. For hours, I repeated, Lord, you didn't disappoint us. You always promised that you would be with us, that you would never abandon us. What could I now possibly bring you as a sacrifice? Nothing hurt me. I really have nothing to offer you as a sacrifice. Despite everything, he says, in a sense, I cherished those wounds. This was, after all, he says, the only tangible, although insignificant, evidence I had that I offered Christ something. In his memoirs, Dr. Kirchmurray included uh, a litany of humility that he and his fellow prisoners repeated daily, even while they were imprisoned and being tortured for their faith in Christ. As I read it, I was stunned by the humility of these men. I've included portions of that litany here that we're going to read out loud together as a kind of corporate prayer of servanthood and humility. 
to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to remember as you read these words, remember that the man who wrote this was in prison for his faith in Christ and being tortured for his faith in Christ. And that he and his fellow prisoners recited this every single day. Again, I'll read the parts that are in the lighter font and then you will read the parts that are in bold. Jesus, humble and silent of heart, change our hearts so that we may be like you. From the desire to be glorified, admired, or popular. From the desire to be considered praiseworthy, respectable, or famous. From the desire to impress people. From the desire that people seek my advice or accept my opinions. From the desire that I be compensated someday because I was not treated with justice and I was wronged. From the desire that I not be humiliated, insulted, ridiculed, or laughed at. From the desire to be liked by everyone and to avoid all conflicts. From the desire that my sacrifices, merits, and good deeds be known. That others may be given precedence over me. That others may be glorified and I humbled. That others may increase and I decrease. That others might be ever more successful and that I might know how to bear failures. Amen. In the next few moments, we'll pray for items as a congregation. I'll read the prayer request, and then you will pray for it quietly in your seat. And then I'll move quickly on to the, to the next one. So let me begin. And then as I said, I'll read the prayer request, and then you will pray pri- privately, quietly to yourself. Father, we come now before you with our prayers of petition knowing that you love to hear our prayers, you love to answer our prayers, and you have the power to answer our prayers. First, Father, give us your love for our neighbors, the people around whom we work, play, study, and live. Would you pray that now quietly? Perhaps you have a neighbor that you would like to pray for now. Father, we pray that you would multiply our acts of love and use them to draw people to Christ. Father, we pray that you would make us, your church, agents of peace in a polarized culture. Father, we pray that you would continually remind us that political parties are not the hope of the world, but that Christ and his church are. Father, we ask, where should we reprioritize our lives so that servanthood becomes a natural part of our lives rather than an add-on out of obligation? Father, we pray for the foster care crisis at Evansville. Raise up men and women who will love and care for children in need of a home and a refuge from crisis and trauma. And Father, make us a motivated and compassionate people loving to those who are our enemies, doing good to all, balancing truth and mercy 
all in grateful response to what Christ has done for us on the cross. We ask these things according to your will and your power, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, the ushers are going to come forward now, and they're going to accept the, they're going to take the offering. If you're new to City Church and you filled a Connect card out earlier in the service, if you would, just drop that Connect card in that offering bucket. We would just like to know that you were here with us. That's really all that we would like from you if you're new to City Church. And then uh, Nathaniel and the band are going to close us with a final song, and then Dustin will come up, and he will dismiss us. Ushers, you can go ahead and take the offering.
This is the end of our service, and hopefully if when Jeff said a prayer service, you were anxious that you think maybe that wasn't as bad as you thought it was going to be. I love a morning like this. I think what just happened in here was really special and is really needed. When you think about it, more than 100 people came together and asked the king of the universe to be at work in us and in our world. And we, we approached God himself directly and asked him to do impossible things. And, and we say every week here at the end of service that the cross changes everything. And it, I think it's worth noting that it is because of the cross that we're able to go directly and boldly and confidently to the king of the universe. Right? That was the moment that changed our relationship. The dividing wall was torn down. And we are now able to approach the throne in confidence because of the sacrifice that Jesus made and because of his resurrection and the new life that he offers us. Let's go as people who know that God, who know that love, who know that life. God bless you. Thanks for being here. Don't forget to grab something sweet on your way out. We'll see you next week.